0: In less than a week, the Texas legislature will come to an end, or at least its regular session in 2003 will come to an end. And so Christians and conservatives will then be in a situation where we will have to judge how well the Texas legislature did. But in order to be able to do that properly, I suggest that we go have to go back and take a look at the Word of God and see what God tells us about civil government and what it's supposed to do. And once we've done that, then we have a better grounding to stand on in order to judge what's going on in civil government. So that's what we're going to do this week on episode 129 of the Liberty Cafe. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and it's truly a blessing to be with you. I've certainly enjoyed going through this legislative session with a lot of you. I've been focused more on Texas politics specifically than I sometimes am because just of everything going on in the Texas legislature. So thank you for being here and blessing me by listening into the Liberty Cafe. And also great thanks, of course, to the folks at Texas Scorecard who not only sponsor the Liberty Cafe but are out there fighting every day for your liberty and mine all of ours, but really by keeping us informed on what's going on, so that we can take the steps that we need to uh, to hold our government officials accountable. All right. So as I mentioned in the opening, the Texas Legislature's regular session, in the twenty twenty three Texas Legislature, will be coming to an end. So this this podcast goes up on Wednesday, and and. Within five days after that, the following Monday, the Texas legislature will come to an end. So I'm going to come back in not one week, but two weeks to offer my thoughts about how the Texas legislature did. But before I do that, I think it's really important for me and for all of us to kind of step back and take a look at what the Bible tells us about the Texas legislature. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this in four parts I'm going to do a drop of podcast today on the normal time it's going to be a little shorter than usual then tomorrow Thursday I'll come back again with a second part and then next week on Wednesday and Thursday I'll also come back with two more shorter than uh, normal episodes to look at what the Bible says about civil government and f- for doing this I'm going to use what's called 21 principles a Christian citizen must know Douglas Wilson put this together, and he just has these 21 principles with a couple of um, scripture verses associated with, with most of each one. So I'm going to walk through those quickly, add some commentary on those, and I'm going to do five or six per episode, and then come back the next day and do the next five or six until we get through all 21 of those. So here it goes. We're going to do today, we're going to do the first five. So Principle. Well, before I get to principle number one, let me ground this in a quote from Abraham Kuyper, which Pastor Wilson also does, because I think it's really important for us to get this through our thick skulls. So Abraham Kuyper was a Christian theologian, also a pastor, and also became the prime minister of the Netherlands. This was in the right around 1900 time frame, and. Uh, and very interested in applying the Word of God to the public square and how it should be shaping the culture, including that of civil government. So here's what Abraham Kuyper says. In any successful attack on freedom, the state can only be an accomplice. The chief culprit is a citizen who forgets his duty, wastes away his strength in the sleep of sin and sensual pleasure, and so loses the power of his own initiative. So just to translate that into our current situation and as we think about grading, if you will, the Texas legislature and how they did in this session, we we really have to start with us because the, the men and women who are up here voting in the Texas legislature and running the, the, the Texas Senate and running the Texas House and running the governor's office, we all put them there. And so if we grade them poorly, well, we really have no one but ourselves to blame. So we have to start thinking about this because, you know, for one thing, we live in a sovereign nation, We're in a nation where people are sovereign in one sense. We we are the ones who are underlying our government. Of course, above us and above the elected officials is God. He is truly the sovereign. Our All of our sovereignty is delegated. Anyway, so I just want to put this out there as I go through these things and we focus on the government and the rulers in government, still we need to consider our role in all these things too. So principle number one, civil government and rule is a blessing from God, not a necessary evil. You know, I've hung around in libertarian circles and mainly through my study of Austrian economics, which I think is by far the best school of economic thought when it comes to explaining how God made the world to work. We, we all exchange, go back and forth in the marketplace, and all economics does is, is describe how all that works, and the best ones describe how God made us to work in those situations. Well, I think Austrian economics is the best way to do that, but it's kind of funny. Uh, the modern-day Austrian economics is has been uh, championed by... Uh, in large part, not entirely, but but the most famous ones anyway were agnostic Jews. But that doesn't mean that God's common grace can't show us how things work. Well, given who is championing Austrian economics these days, there's a lot of libertarians in there, and not all of a lot of them are not are not believers. And so those folks would normally normally say that government is a necessary evil, or a lot of them would actually say, well, it's just an evil, it's not even necessary, that we can have a society without that. But I don't believe that's true as a Christian. I think God's Word teaches us differently. And here's, um, here's a passage from uh, 2 Samuel 23, uh, verses 3 and 4, that helps us understand that. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as a light of the morning, when the sun rises, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Clearly, that does not sound like a necessary evil. If you go back into the book of Deuteronomy, it, it clearly lays out the responsibilities of the king. It anticipated a king coming, not... not A ruler like the nations, who Saul turned out to be, and who the people of Israel demanded. But a a king like David, who was a man after God's own heart. And so, we need a king. We need a ruler over us. Of course, ultimately, that ruler is Jesus Christ. But government is here to honor, work in his stead, as we see in Romans chapter 13, that the ruler is a servant, a deacon, uh, for God and here to uh, punish evil and bless good. And so we, we should never forget that when we're looking at our government, it's there for a reason and it's a good reason. And so we, we need to take that into account as we're judging what the Texas legislature has done this session. Principle number two, God establishes a righteous throne with majesty which means there is just this certain majesty when it comes to the people who hold public office, whether it's the, the queen of England, today the king, but say Queen Elizabeth II, Queen Elizabeth I, people who the, the world kind of looks at and goes in some sort of awe. Also in the president of the United States in the mayor of Austin, as much as sometimes we look at that, or at least I look at that, and say, "I'm not sure about these folks." There's a majesty there, and uh, the, this here's a verse out of um, Second First Chronicles twenty-five, verses twenty-nine, and the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel, and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. There, there's just a majesty on that, but that majesty comes not from the person, him or herself, but from the place that God has put them in. But it's also important to know that that person can actually, not, not entirely eliminate, but can diminish that majesty when they are not acting out of righteousness. So for instance, here we have in Proverbs 16:12, it is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established by righteousness. So note that thrones aren't established by power, they're established by righteousness. God's righteousness first and foremost, but also should be at least by the righteous actions of those who hold the throne. But when they back off from that righteousness and start committing evil, their majesty diminishes. Doesn't mean that we don't honor and respect the office in some Perspective, and we have to keep that in mind. But that gives us uh, the discretion to start agitating or even resisting uh, a king or a ruler who is not governing according to righteousness. And we'll talk more about that as we go through. Principle number three the law of God is the soul of a good ruler. This is really fascinating, and let me just read a passage here from Exodus 18. Uh, Verse 21 on this. Moreover, you shall provide out of of all the people able men such that fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place them to be rulers over the thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now this is Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who's counseling him, because Moses was sitting all day hearing all these cases. And uh, Jethro said, that's, that's not a good good thing. You need to decentralize. It's not good to have just one man doing all these things. For one thing, you don't have the time and energy to do all this. But it's also good to not put all that power in one man. So he created, Jethro told him, to go find these good men. What are their qualifications? Well, uh, one is they need to fear God. Two, they need to be men who've, who of truth, men who love truth, and three, men who hate covetous, covetousness. And so, that leads, begs the question: Well, h- how do they know, you know, what it's being covetousness? What's being covet when they covet? What is the truth, right? We we know what fearing God is, but you got to fear the right God. Well, the, the way rulers are supposed to do this is by, you know, for instance, they're supposed to punish evil and bless good. Well, how are they going to know what good and evil is? Well, it's through God's law. And and so their hearts need to be ones that love God's law, and they need to rule from that. And that should be all leaders, whether they're Christian or not, although ones who are not Christian are not going to love God in the appropriate way. And that brings up the interesting point about Christian nationalism. Because as soon as you start saying that, well, leaders should apply God's word to um, the Bible, to the public square, then everybody's going to say, Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism, Christian nationalism. But, and complain about that. But that really begs the question, all right, if you don't want a nation that walks by Christian principles, by what God says in the Bible, what do you want your nation to walk under? What standard do you want your nation to look to? Well, there's either the Bible, God's Word, or there's the Word of Satan and or the the Word of fallen men. I, I don't think we want as a nation, as Christians or anybody else, to to live under that kind of thing. We, we've seen that in the past. We've seen that in China. We've seen that in, uh, in um, different parts of Indonesia and, and those kind of places. We want Christian influence and culture and God's word to rule our country. Number four, God requires true humility of his leaders. And here is um, here's a passage to support that that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren his brothers and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom he and his children in the midst of Israel so that's Deuteronomy 17:20 so again we want a king who whose heart isn't does not lift himself up above his brothers, his brothers and sisters, those who, from whom he was elected from. Because remember, the the righteousness and the glory and the majesty that is in a ruler is not inherent in that person. That person didn't get elected to office because because of the majesty and and the glory from God. No, it's the other way around. But too often people get in the situation of being elected leaders and want to, Lord themselves over the people because they are better than the people, and and I think you know populism is a popular thing these days. Yeah, and I think Trump is, is has come out of that populism. We're listening to the people, and there's nothing wrong with listening to the people, but I think a lot of times, particularly in Texas now, we're seeing that that populism is being used by uh, some of our elected officials, where they listen enough to the people to find out that where they want some things. So for instance, let's just say school choice in Texas. And, you know, our leaders have listened to that, that might pass this session, and it seems that a lot of people in Texas want it. But they're using that as, as to, to satiate the people, while at the same time, they're using government to boost themselves and keep themselves in power. I think it's no secret that a lot of what the Republicans are doing in Austin today is simply an effort to keep themselves in power. And so they're not just listening to people and doing school choice, but they're also giving teachers pay raises and giving big business billions of dollars. It appears to me that we're not seeing a lot of humility in our leaders in Texas today. And then number five, our last principle for today, is our basic demeanor towards civil rulers should be one of honor. And here's the Bible passage on that. 1 Peter 2.17 Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Well, that's kind of is built out of all that we've talked about so far. Because we, we honor the king not necessarily because who he is, although we might if a king or a president or a governor or a mayor gets into office and walks in the name of God, seeking to do what is good in God's eyes like King David did and his great-grandson Asa and other kings of Israel, then we should have a position of honor towards them as well. But nonetheless, because God placed them on their thrones or in their offices, we should honor that as well. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't call them into account and deal with them appropriately for when they don't keep things straight. Just like um, Nathan the prophet came to David and spoke to him when he not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, but then had his her husband killed by putting him into danger, into battle. All right, so that's the first part of the 21 Principles of Civil Government. We'll be back tomorrow with more. Thank you for listening in to the Liberty Cafe today, and thanks one more time to our sponsor here at the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard.